Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. And I'm Josh Bashong. Today we are joined by Dr. Amy Hagerman, and we are going to talk about disaster programs and farm bill programs. I'll try to get her to talk about crop insurance, a whole lot of fun things when it comes to risk management and making up for the, well, is it an awful place we live in? It seems like a lot of terrible things happen, Amy. <laughs> We're a little disaster prone here in the state of Oklahoma. We make good use of these disaster programs and risk management options. <laughs> yeah, we have good sunsets, but man, it can it can be bad weather sometimes. And yeah, I, I think back to this time, you know, this podcast will come out fast enough to say this. This time last year, uh, after the big snowstorm and deep freeze that we went through and and the types of things that our farmers had to go through. And earlier that year, we had floods and different things. So what would be your favorite program to deal with that disaster? Yeah, so I I remember, like you were talking about a year ago, I remember seeing all these Facebook posts of people who had their calves in their laundry room, or they were trying to put them in the tub to warm them up, or they had them in, like wrapped in towels with a blow dryer trying to warm them up. And then this year... I see all of these posts of people who are like, here's us today warming up a calf. And here's our memory from a year ago <laughs> warming up a calf. So I think, you know, especially the last couple of years, something like the Livestock Indemnity Program has been really important because that's a program that will, when you have these extreme events, when you have these abnormal mortalities in your cattle herd, particularly with our baby calves, um, from these cold events that we've seemed to be having in February is the last mm-hmm. couple of years that it will help uh, pay some for some of those calves that were lost. So I think that's the one that's probably gotten a lot of attention. Then also we think back to the ice storm, all of the damage mm-hmm. and pretty regularly here in Oklahoma, we have ice storms mm-hmm. where it knocks out the power. It's knocking down trees. Um, so something like the emergency conservation program, ECP, is pretty important for that because that's going to help you rebuild fence lines or farm buildings, not your home, but your farm buildings that have damage from trees falling on them, either because of the ice storm or even looking forward, thinking about tornado season is coming up uh, in the future and the damages that those can do on our farmland, which doesn't get as much TV time, right? We we do have a lot of tornadoes that go through our farm country. Mm -hmm. They just don't get as much TV time for the damages, but it's really costly if you lose a barn. So serious question. Got a lot of people that live in barn dominiums. (laughs) But if the barn part is damaged, but the house part isn't, can it still qualify? If it's covered under your home insurance and it does not qualify. Okay. (laughs) Get good home insurance. <laughs> yeah, well, that's definitely something I've been dealing with here lately with all the windstorms, losing shingles off my house. So I just had to go through talking to an insurance guy about that. So, yeah, it's we're talking about the types of things that happen that are outside of normal. Like livestock indemnity program can also help a person out. I've seen where herds of cattle have been killed by lightning strikes and mm-hmm. things like that. Now. What type of documentation? How do you prove it when it comes to these programs? Yeah, the documentation is really critical on these programs because first they have to be commercial livestock 
So if you have a, a single animal that would be more for recreational use or even that you would consider to be in kind of the pet category, mm -hmm. that is not going to fall under this program. These have to be commercial livestock. They have to be owned at least 30 days uh, before the event happens. And so you have to have proof of ownership that you, you bought them at some point ahead of time or they were born on your place from your cattle. Um, so that proof of ownership is really important ahead of time. The other thing is that when it happens, even though there's a lot of other things going on, even though it's not particularly pleasant, you got to go out and document those losses. So that means taking photos, that means taking video. Maybe, you know, if your vet is coming out and looking at them, then you've got uh, some kind of documentation from your vet, but you've got to have some kind of documentation of the loss. And they're only going to pay for the loss that's an abnormal loss that's mm -hmm. above what you would normally lose right. in your herd. So I think those are all really important things to remember. I also think timing is really important to remember. When these kinds of things happen, we're stressed. We're trying to turn in a whole lot of paperwork to a whole lot of people, but you've got to turn in a notice of loss within 30 days. Mm -hmm. For most of our livestock, the exception is for our, our bee producers, they have to turn their notice of loss in within 15 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one. That's an easy one to forget. We have quite a bit of loss due to extreme weather in, in our apiaries for sure. But I think think back to February and this year and or last year, and thinking about you know, what was going on during that time. We make some jokes about you know <laughs> the terrible weather we have, but in reality, there is a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's you think about taking care of yourself and and your herds of livestock. It, one lucky thing is. As we've talked about before, there's a lot of interpretation when it comes to programs and they're administered differently depending on where you are. Local FSA offices don't always require the same documentation. Right. And it's important to know what your local office is requiring at that time. But fortunately, sometimes those Facebook posts made out of distress helped document some of those losses. And you know, we yeah. talked to people about, you know, before you bury any of these animals, make sure you take pictures document what's happened, go to your calf books. You know, if you can document that you own the cattle prior mm -hmm. to that time, just trying to keep those records. Sometimes, even if you think you're not going to use those records for yourself, when it comes to disaster programs in the future, it can be important to have that information. Yeah. For really any kind of program, you know, it's a lot of USDA programs are self-certified. So you've got to keep those kinds of records. You've got to keep your accurate counts because whether you're applying for the livestock forage program and you're certifying how many cattle of particular types that you have, or you're applying for something like the, the coronavirus program, the CFAT program that we went through a year ago, that was all self-certification. Mm -hmm. You had to know how many you had on a specific date and where they were and how long you had had them. So record keeping is really critical for all of these USDA programs, in addition to things like insurance and your banking and all of those other things. Those CFAT programs are miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I like the money, but wow, it was difficult to, to come up with those individual numbers. Because like I said, you weren't, it's sometimes it's such an arbitrary date that mm -hmm. they come up with. And you think, oh, I got to go back and think about exactly what I had during that time. But fortunately, you know, if you keep a calf book or a cow book and yeah. in your pickup, just take care of that thing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe take some pictures of it every once in a while in case you lose <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, My parents yeah. use their calendar on their wall. So they'll just jot down yeah. how many were born to which number on their calendar on their wall. And so it's just a really handy, easy way to keep track on specific dates of who had been born when. Yeah. I've seen notes on dashboards and I've seen people using 
Excel sheets on their phone. So I love Excel sheets. <laughs> I'm all about the Excel sheets. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where we've also seen documentation as simple as you pull on your pasture, hit record on your phone and just take a video of your herd. Oh, yeah. And then you don't necessarily have to really know what's there. You can go back and kind of look at that video and, and take an inventory at that point and kind of figure out what's going on. And it. it serves as really good proof that you actually had them. Yeah, absolutely. But I remember, again, it, when that happened, we had several people that just wanted to be done with the disaster and they would they disposed of livestock, they buried them and then going back and you know, fortunately, you know, the FSA employees and, and directors all live in the county you're in. They understand the problem. Sometimes there's other ways you can get that mm -hmm. information retroactively, but it's not always a guarantee. And these programs can be very ah, lucrative is the wrong term to use. I, maybe you can help me with my They, they can help here, offset the losses. Exactly. Yeah. yeah they, it's, we're not talking about trivial amounts of money yeah. most of the time. It can yeah. be a pretty big uh, disaster payment. So... Right. Definitely consider, especially if you're a new producer, we, we have a lot of new producers coming back to the farm and maybe not know, like they think they're just out of that money, but oftentimes there's a lot of good programs to help with that. Yeah, well, it can make, it can be the difference between being able to pay back your loans that year or not, mm -hmm. um, because you've lost that revenue going forward into the future. So I think it's really important to think into the future in terms of those losses and that there's a value in, in getting that payment to help offset the losses. Also, I think it's important to remember that even though your notice of loss has to be done relatively quickly, you've got a little time to get those those records together to put in your full application mm -hmm. after that. So if you make your notice of loss, that's a great moment to talk to your FSA office about, okay, these are the records I have. What else do I need um, for my application? And, and that's just a good moment to have that conversation with them because they're probably talking to a lot of other producers at the same time and would have some good ideas about what they're willing to accept or not. Yeah, that's an important point is notice of loss is as simple as saying, I have a problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and beyond that, the actual records come later. So yeah. there's no reason to miss that notice of loss because you don't think you're ready. Right. It's literally just telling them that, hey, I've had a disaster on my farm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't have time to go and dig out your sale records at that point. But, you know, as the weeks go along a little bit, you'll be able to have more time to dig out those those records. Um, but it's just a matter of remembering it. It's, it's a matter of remembering to make that notice of loss in a time that's really stressful, probably for a lot of reasons. And I didn't even think we were going to go down this rabbit hole. But as we think about risk management, I'm, I'm thinking about insurance policies, like mm -hmm. home ins insurance policies, farm liability policies. Each company is going to be different, but oftentimes you might rent a new farm and you don't even think about it. But sometimes those insurance companies want to know the legal description of every farm in case you have a disaster on that place. They want to know that you were actually farming it yeah. and on the policy. Yeah. And and your policy limits are based on how many acres you farm. So if you go over a certain number, it's an extra value that you have to or extra cost that you have to pay to to up that coverage. So you don't normally think, oh, I rented a new farm. I need to call my farm liability insurance provider. But mm -hmm. you really do. Yeah. And then when it comes to there are insurance policies for livestock, there's insurance policies for hay. But as we use hay on a daily basis, do we keep those inventories updated with those companies? It's, you know, you can be as risk averse or as you want to be. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and oftentimes we, we take on a lot of risk in agriculture, but just keeping those different things in mind uh, as you're going through the winter time and using some of those stores, because 
if freak accidents happen and you lose a hundred bales of hay, that can be pretty damaging to a to an individual producer. Yeah, those inventories are really important for all of your insurance products. Um, so even thinking about your shop buildings or wherever you've got your equipment parked, what kind of equipment have you purchased? Mm-hmm. And do you have the kind of coverage for what you have? Because it's really easy every year to just say, yeah, yeah, my coverage or just same level of coverage, no problem. Um, but you really do have to think about your inventories every year. And I, I think it's a really good and valuable idea to have a good inventory sheet. Like you said, as simple as running a video and going all the way around your shop mm-hmm. and taking a video of everything that you have. Because aside from the cost of replacing it, you don't want to have to think about, well, what did I even have in there mm-hmm. whenever you're submitting your your insurance claim later on? So I think all those good things that they tell you to do related just to your house in terms of insurance and inventory, we got to think about those things for all of our buildings, all of our properties, all of our livestock. Yeah, you think about a toolbox and an individual wrench can be $20 and how many wrenches (laughs) are in a toolbox. I I don't think very many people really know how much, how valuable their shop is. Yeah. And a shop is a costly building to replace entirely. Yeah. yeah. If you, you think with a tornado, you might be able to find a lot of that stuff, but in a catastrophic fire, most of that stuff yeah. is ruined, you know, and, and I like your idea, a video, just go through and video everything you have. And then it's up to the adjuster how much of that they want to watch, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it, it can be tedious for sure, but it, it's definitely better than trying to remember what was stacked uh, several boxes deep. Parts inventories too. Oh gosh, mm-hmm. yes. A lot of farmers will keep a lot of parts on hand and it doesn't take very long to yeah. get hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And oftentimes just your regular insurance policy doesn't necessarily cover that. They're going to want a number because there's a value assigned to that and a cost assigned to that. So keeping getting an actual number uh, close to what you have is incredibly important because, you know, it also comes down to your deductibles and things like that of of what you're going to have to actually pay. Even just getting clarification for your policy. Does your policy cover the building or does any part of your policy cover the contents Mm -hmm. of the building? Because it's two different things. So even just getting clarification on that and making sure that you actually have a policy that does have some coverage of the contents is important. Yeah, various homeowner policies. It it makes a difference how far away your outbuildings are from the home dwelling. Whether mm-hmm. they're sometimes those home those dwellings can also encompass outbuildings, but if they're so many hundred feet away from the house, they don't count, and someone may not realize that. What those buildings are made out of, whether they're steel structures or wood, makes a difference on how much the insurance costs. So yeah. it's you know, you get talking about risk protection and and trying to mitigate your risk. It is a, it's a rabbit hole. It's a crazy conversation <laughs> to actually have. You know, Josh, I bring you into this even as well. When we talk about spraying, there's various farm liability policies that have a sprayer rider or a different a policy that you can put on that that will protect you against drift. Yeah. And then you have to ask, well, how much are five or six soybean fields downwind from me worth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, what type of coverage do you need? It's hard to know. You know, offsite yeah. drift can can be a very expensive thing. Yeah. Even thinking about a fire in an outbuilding where you're storing chemicals, it's important to know what chemicals you've actually stored in that Mm. building whenever Mm. the fire department is responding to that fire. Having those MSDS sheets available and updated, just like any other inventory, seems like everyone's always behind. Yeah. So what are you going to do about that, Josh? 
Who wants to take more notes? No, I just take a video. Isn't that the... <laughs> We've well, come up with a solution to everything. Video today. everything. Well, if the, bu the building's on fire and they know there's chemical in there, they might just let it burn down at that point. Uh, speed can be important, too. But, you know, we, we were talking about different FSA programs. Are there any funding increases that people need to know about that are coming down the pipe or any new programs that are going to be administered? So we haven't seen a lot of funding increases for um, some of the core programs like safety net programs and things like that. But we have seen some increased funding for some of the conservation programs and some of the disaster programs do fall under that umbrella. So emergency conservation program did have an increase in funding associated with it. And that is specifically associated with some of the disasters we've seen in the last year, wildfires in various parts of the country, some of the extreme cold weather events in other parts of the country. Uh, another thing is that the, um, the ELAP program, which is the Emergency Assistance for Livestock, Honeybees, and Farm-Raised Fish, it does not match the acronym at all. <laughs> but the ELAP program has been expanded for drought so to actually cover some of the transportation costs of bringing in hay, mm -hmm. and then also uh, for transportation of water, if you've got to, to move water so mm -hmm. to some different parts of the pasture. Most people don't think about ELAP whenever they're, they're cattle producers. Uh, so I, I think that those are important programs to think about as well. And then there's some conversation of whether the Wildfire Hurricane Indemnity Program or WIP, which we did have a lot of producers in Oklahoma apply for that program for drought specifically, may be reauthorized for 21 and 22 based on just some of the extreme drought conditions that we've been experiencing. Yeah, my, my dad applied for some WIP money and I remember he got a letter that was talking about various things you have to do from now on to, to qualify to keep that money. Is you know, the crops that were covered under WIP, you had to have plans to plant those again. You couldn't just have said that you have wanted to plant insurance it. insurance coverage. Exactly. And, yeah. And, yeah, I didn't. I didn't read that letter very closely, but I thought if you accidentally didn't open that, that could be big problems. Yeah, <laughs> so, you got to really know what you're getting into, yeah. what you're agreeing to in the future. <laughs> so, I just, I just think it's important with these disaster programs. Oftentimes, there's no strings attached, but other times you need to follow the rules because they are disaster programs. They aren't just free checks that you get in the mail. They're they're designed to protect yeah. our food supply first and foremost. And, and they will attach. Uh, like you said, requirements on there that are supposed to be risk management requirements. So mm -hmm. like, for example, with WIP and the crop insurance coverage, you had to agree that you were going to get crop insurance coverage so many years into the future mm -hmm. if you took the WIP payment because they're trying to reduce those future losses that you'd need ad hoc programs for. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Learn something, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of that had to do with like preventing planning because of the floods and different things that we had. So yeah, you, you never know what programs are going to, are going to pop up that are available. And I think we could talk all day about them. Uh, oh, it's always changing. It's always changing. Just encourage you. If you have questions to reach out to extension, uh, we'll have email address in the show notes, extension experience at okstate.edu. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes don't miss your crop insurance deadline. Don't miss your crop insurance deadline. Yeah, we, we have a uh, short rating week coming up. So with the drought, if you have plans to do something else when it comes to your wheat acres, if you want to terminate the wheat and go to a different crop, uh, just keep that in mind. March 15th for Oklahoma. 
if you're listening somewhere else, I can't help you. Call your crop insurance agent <laughs> if you have questions on deadlines. And, and various parts of Oklahoma can have different deadlines as well. So always be sure to be in touch with your crop insurance agent. Amy, any last words? Take a video of your inventory. I think if we've come <laughs> away with anything here today, it's take a video for your inventory. Yeah, that's great advice. <laughs> How many people actually have it? <laughs> but I might go home now and do that. I don't know. <laughs> With that, thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.